You're listening to the Prestige 70 Podcast, a collection of intimate conversations with contemporary jazz artists with an eye toward the genre-defining music made on Prestige Records. On today's Prestige 70 podcast, my guest, he became immersed in jazz as a teenager and began his career at the renowned Dorsey High School Jazz Workshop. Post-high school, he was playing local clubs, and by age 19, he had joined Elvin Jones' band. After three and a half years, he joined a quartet led by the pianist McCoy Tyner. He's currently leading the Azar Lawrence Experience, which features both standards and his own original compositions. Azar Lawrence, welcome to the Prestige 70 podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, So you heard the saxophone, I think for the first time, when a friend of your father's brought a sax to your house. That's correct. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, you know, I was at the time trying to find an instrument that would express where my voice had dropped. Mm -hmm. It was lower. My hearing, everything was lower. And uh, and I was thinking about uh, a cello. But then I said to myself, well, that's going to be interesting transporting, you know. So <laughs> I was debating, and uh, we were blessed. To, we had a swimming pool up in Baldwin Hills, mm-hmm. and, and my uh, father's uh, co-worker used to come, and uh, he would lay on uh, by the pool and, and play his flute. One time he brought an alto saxophone, and when I heard that, I just went, oh, that's it, that's it. Because he could play, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, my father uh, was a big supporter, and he said, let's go get you one, boy. So, mm. <laughs> so we went out and got one. When did you start listening to jazz? When when did that All kinda... along. See, All along. My mother uh, was a pianist, uh-huh. but she was a school teacher, sixth grade school teacher, and she always played the KBCA 105.1 jazz station in the car. When mm. she got out, if we were both, uh, my brother and I were both in the car, when we'd get uh, when she'd get out and go in the store or something, he'd turn it to KJFJ, the little R and B station. R and B station. When she yeah, got yeah, back, yeah. she said, "Turn that back." <laughs> so, so we listened to you know yeah. uh, my favorite things. So John Coltrane was on. Right. I remember that you know. Yeah. You know Joe Henderson, uh, uh, Horse Silver. You were also friendly with the son of a very famous saxophone player. That's very true. Um, tell me, tell me about tell me about Reggie Golson. Reggie Golson. I met him uh, at a. Sunday uh, Horace Tapscott concert mm. used to be at Fauche uh, Junior High School uh, every Sunday. And we just hit it off immediately. And I don't know if I should compromise myself and say that jump the fence from the school, high school <laughs> <laughs> and meet him. And meet him. Oh, boy. After Jazz Workshop, another great teacher, yeah. uh, Dr. Simpson, mm. for the Dorsey Jazz Workshop, who actually a few of the, uh, my friends, the students that went to him, we called him. He's in his 80s now, not too long ago, about wow. six months ago, and got in touch with him. But yeah, so Reggie, we would go up uh, to his house, and they lived in uh, Hollywood Hills <laughs> at the very top. There was nowhere to go after their house. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And, Off uh, the canyon into the valley. That's it. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if, if you at all had any discussions with Benny Golson. About, oh, absolutely. About his experiences in jazz and music. Well, you know what? That came uh, through Reggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reggie was very close with Elvin Jones, and, and uh, he was very close with Duke Ellington. He was very close with uh, John Coltrane. He still had some John Coltrane of his reeds. But yeah, yeah. Benny Golson told me a lot of things about the uh, about the saxophone. He didn't yeah. go into his history, mm-hmm. and but Reggie would tell me about you know yeah. uh, his father and who he played with, and 
that he knew from what Benny had told him. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sure, sure. Well, and, and Benny grew up with John Coltrane. They were just oh, they were young, young, young guys in Philadelphia, yes. you know, trying to figure out you know, the, the music game at the, at, at the time. You, you eventually ended up playing with Horace Tapscott. I did, as a matter of fact, yeah, after one of those uh, Sundays there, I was mm-hmm. introduced to Horace and, ooh. And you were playing clubs around Los Angeles at that point? Well, or? I did play a club, uh, I mean, formally with uh, uh, Larry Gales, mm-hmm. Candy Finch, who was, uh, Larry Gales, a bass player from Salonius. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Candy Finch, who had played five years with Dizzy Gillespie, the drums. Yeah. And Woody Shaw, uh, George Cables, and myself. Larry and Candy had a club. Hmm. Yeah, LB West on 54th Street. It was uh, from uh, 2 a.m. to 6. Wow. Tuesdays and wow. Thursdays. That's amazing. Isn't that something? That, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't think any of that exists anymore, which is yeah, oh, man. which is somewhat sad and, you know, in 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 many respects. How were you how were you introduced to Elvin Jones? Well, it's back to Reggie Golson. Mm. Yeah, Reggie had uh, spoken with Elvin, and we were going uh, to... So he said, come on, Aza. I mean, I was at his house every day. Yeah. So yeah. he was like, I want you to come on, let's go out and pick Elvin, Elvin and his uh, wife up at the airport. And so he had... Uh, he used to have a bug, a, a Volkswagen bug, but then he had just gotten a, a, Vo- a Volkswagen wagon, mm. which worked perfectly. Yeah. So we picked him up, and, uh, you know, Elvin and Keiko sat back, I was introduced, and we dropped him off at the Players Hotel. And went out to see him uh, at the lighthouse that night. Mm-hmm. So Reggie said, "Bring your horn, man! Bring your horn!" So I brought my soprano, and uh, uh, Elvin walked up behind me, and he said, "Yeah, you might get a chance to use that thing." <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, uh, I thought maybe I was gonna sit in. I was ready though, yeah. but you know, but no, I didn't uh, get a chance to do that. But afterwards, they invited me to come to a rehearsal the next day, and what had happened is Dave Leadman had left and gone to Miles Davis. And so it just left Steve Grossman and, and, and Gene Perla. Mm-hmm. I played and uh, packed up my horn. And yeah. I was ready to go. And he said, you're with me, aren't you? Just like that? Just like that, yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Wow. So, so tell me about getting to the tenor. So uh, interesting enough, uh, I was doing quite a bit on alto, and I was doing the baritone thing with uh, mm-hmm. Horace Tapscott. Yeah. Uh, Raymond Pounds. A drummer that did a lot with Stevie Wonder, but also played on the Marvin Gaye Trouble Man album. Mm-hmm. It was a friend of mine, and uh, he said, well, you know what? He said, you need to get a man's horn, play that tenor. And he said, oh, I said, really? So uh, once again, my father, you know, stepped up and... God and, bless him. Yeah, God bless, God bless but, him. But what is, it, what is it about the tenor? I mean, in your mind, I mean, that's a great description, you know, time for, a, you know, a man's horn. Yeah. But, but what is it about the, the, the tenor that is different than playing alto or baritone? Well, just the range. I mean, it's, that's where my voice is actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I'm a tenor. Mm-hmm. It's more right in where my thinking, my mind, the energy follows the thought, you know. 
right of the the sound is following that energy from within and it's the center of it is what we call tenor yeah and it just fit i mean because alto i could actually hear i could play what i hear heard in my head mm. on alto but i kept playing i couldn't go low enough on alto I would carry the lowest note and bend, try to bend it on my leg, and yeah, I just couldn't. It wasn't enough. Yeah, wasn't enough. Yeah, couldn't get down there. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. go. I was hearing lower, you know. So uh, it was it was perfect. And then, as soon as I uh, changed, the very day mm-hmm. I changed, I started working. Yeah, Did, was there um, was there a, a fair amount of wood shedding? that you had to do once you picked up the tenor? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because everything was in a different key. Mm. Blues and F was my G, you know. I mean, now, you yeah. know. It so, was so now you're transposing. Transposing. As much as, you know, and then you start thinking as opposed to exactly. actually playing. Right. Yeah. You know, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. So you, you, you go to this rehearsal to, to get back to the story, you go to this rehearsal um, with 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 Elvin Jones, and I'm I'm wondering what challenges that presented to you in terms of playing with a drummer like Elvin Jones. Well, just all of the uh, listening that had been done uh, on record, you know, mm-hmm. with him playing all that yeah. beautiful stuff they played with Tra- with John Coltrane's yeah. group, <clears throat> and. Uh, the mystique of you know this famous great man, and uh, and then he is great. And there he is now, <laughs> you know, being great. <laughs> you, you're there listening yeah. to it, and uh, yeah. but it's it's one thing to listen to it on the record. Oh, uh, it's another thing entirely. All of a sudden, be in the room. Oh yeah, and being I mean, you know, listening that way is one thing too. But now you're actually engaging in uh, you know co-creating mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this man and. Yeah. Uh, he was interesting uh, to his the advanced uh, concept that he had of time <clears throat> was so fluid that uh, you know it was it was fluid. Yeah. So therefore, we are used to at a certain stage of uh, elementary uh, musical uh, experience and knowledge, uh, you know, holding on to these bars mm-hmm. in our mind, you know, sixteen. I mean, right. You're counting. You're counting. Yeah. You know, some ever so slightly, perhaps. And right. And <clears throat> when you start to let go of that, so you can really immerse yourself in the music and create, then now is how deeply rooted is it within you that you can count as? I mean, you know, you are it. You know, it's not mentally counting now, but you, the, you feel the the actual yeah. bars. You know the the timing that it's time when it's time to change, and then when the changes are coming, you've done it so much that now that it's it's, it's a part of you. Mm. You had to be there to create and still sure. be rooted in in the in the song because the form, A A B A form, you know those things. I mean, and, and where most drummers would put one bass drum or a cymbal, he he might go past that. He might have put it on a bass drum. Or he might have put it on a tom. I mean, it's there. You know how he did it is hard to describe. Yeah. But and it was really uh, a lot of uh, Afro uh, influence. Uh, it was like mm. sometimes you'd be in a jungle with it. I mean, mm. it was like you were in. A, you know. It, it it strikes me that that requires um, a remarkable amount of 
self-confidence for you as a music, you know, to be kind of, you know, kind of rooted in the understanding of, I understand, you know, my sense of time. Right. And how that works with, with a drummer like that. Well, that's absolutely the, uh, you hit it, uh, the nail on the head in the sense that you had to be firmly rooted in your sense of time. Yes. You couldn't rely on him, mm. or which we're used to doing, relying on the drummer to, to, to do it. You have to know yeah. the form yourself. And so therefore, you know, then you can meet up, we can meet up at these points. Right. And to me, to me that's, I mean, that, that's almost the, the essence of jazz music, you know, at, at almost at its core. And particularly that, that, um, that music that bebop was moving toward, you know, and, you know, so much of the, you know, the great stuff that we hear on so many of the great prestige you know, records that, that Coltrane made, Absolutely. you know, all of that rhythmic um, kind of intensity w was moving in that direction. Yes, it was. Slowly, but ever so Yeah, uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was on a, he was, you know, he, he, he had his own sense of time. Yes. In terms of, you know, the way he progressed you know, as, as, as a musician. Did Elvin talk to you at all, speaking about Coltrane, mm -hmm. did he talk to you at all about Coltrane? I asked him one time in a, uh, in, in a moment of clarity, I said, how can you play with a guy like me after playing with a guy like John Coltrane? He snapped, he said, that what you're thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> he said, is that what you're thinking about? <laughs> busted. Yeah, busted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That was, I left it at that. Yeah, never asked him again. Never asked him again. Hmm. Did Elvin give you, forgetting about Coltrane, but but did he give you advice about your playing? Did 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 he um, not direct you per se, mm -hmm. but encourage you in in some it's way? Interesting you ask that. Uh, that's a good question. Only thing he told me is to listen. He said you are a master of the physical saxophone. You are over that. He said just play music now. Isn't that great? You know, don't worry about the technical. He said you got it. He just said, play. Yeah, you see, you've mastered that. It's just play some music. Hmm. What did that mean to you when, when you heard something? Let like your that? fingers go. Let your hands go. If you're a boxer, they said, let your hands go. Let hmm. your fingers go. Yeah. 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 And great. I was able to do that. And uh, that was one of my uh, <clears throat> fortes. Mm -hmm. And I would let people, uh, you know, uh, prior to that, if you were to hire me, I would say, listen, I can't, I, only thing I can guarantee is that I can get out of the way and let the most high come through me. Yeah. Three and a half years, right, with, with Elvin Jones? Well, I, was, like I lived with him two and a half years. And then uh, after uh, a period uh, that I had done the Miles and, mm -hmm. the, and the John Co I mean the, John, the McCoy Tyner thing, then right. I, he wanted me to come back and I came back as I moved out to California. I see, uh, I see. But, there was a, the, but you did get introduced to McCoy Tyner. I met McCoy uh, <clears throat> at a uh, Horace Tapscott, uh, the, the the Sunday sure. thing you performance. Know? Yeah, performance. Yeah. And uh, well, actually, he was had written a new song, and he was trying to get the right drum beat on there. McCoy and, had McCoy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Wilby Fletcher was playing drums with us, uh -huh. and uh, we were at a rehearsal, and he was like, "Ah, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right." Ah, that's not right. That's not right. Try this. And so then, it, uh, so Guilherme Frankel, the percussionist, said, "Let me try." So he he went there and sat down and played 
what was supposed to have been a, a Brazilian thing, but and McCoy said, "Oh, that's it, that's it," but it was funk. <laughs> boom, ba, 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 boom, ba, boom, ba. Yeah, this Brazilian thing, boom, boom, ba, ba. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, that, that was funk. <laughs> it was all came from Africa. Yeah, all this music, right. the Brazilian music, all of this was the roots, you know. And and so therefore, you know, I said at that very point, uh, I had to drop certain uh, uh, parameters that I had formed in defenses for myself. Uh, that's, and I had also uh, listened to an album that Sonny Rollins uh, had done that was a funk album on Milestone, mm -hmm. or, you know, Fantasy um, Under the right. Umbrella. So I said, there's this man that has most likely invented bebop, yeah. has done a funk album. Yeah. Now, what do I look like <laughs> saying, oh, I'm not playing that, I'm not, you know, wait a minute, you know, I'm a jazz. Yeah. Coming back to, to McCoy. Yes. Um, um, how, how familiar, I'm assuming you were familiar with his work before you got to sit in with him. Absolutely. But, yeah. Uh, back to Reggie Golson. He, Reggie Golson had a record collection the size of this room. Hmm. He had, and all we did is he'd play, okay, what about this? You know this one? No, I don't know. And he'd play that. Then he'd go and talk to his father. Then he'd come back and he'd play this. And, I, and out of all that music, McCoy, that was the sound. Like, man, I play this one again. Because, mm. you know, McCoy, you know, oh, man, uh, those albums, he and Joe Henderson, he and McCoy and uh, John Coltrane, uh, you know, that, that sound that of the piano, that was like, ooh, I love that. You know, I, I, I think you used the term um, playing with him was like just his just his piano playing was like playing with an orchestra. Oh yes. Just describe <laughs> describe what that means to you. Well, just his voicing. Uh, he himself uh, described it as uh, that his concept was based upon horn shouts. Hmm. Yeah. So that's where he was coming from, like on Africa Brass. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, mm -hmm. those things that Eric Dolphy wrote out were what he was playing. Yeah. And, uh, and the, so those horn shouts that uh, Eric turned into the actual horn shouts were what McCoy had, you know, according mm -hmm. to McCoy. And that's how he, you know, he the way he orchestrated his compositions and with the internal compositions within the compositions. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, you know, the way he composed. It, it was from an orchestral standpoint. Yeah. You know, you could just, you were immersed in a, a an ocean of music mm. and, and tones and uh, this way he would build his chords. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How did that? How did that affect your playing? How? What? What did you have to do well, to play with him? We we fit together like a glove. It was like I knew it would. I mean, uh, you know, that was he was who I really you know looked forward to playing with. Mm. It's interesting because uh, I had a uh, after seeing him uh, at the Horace Tapscott thing, you know, I uh, 
met him, and he was going up to San Francisco to the Keystone Corner. Yeah. And yeah. so I drove up there. It was on Sunday night, and uh, told the man I was tired, so I went to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And it was enough time. I asked the hotel to give me a wake-up call, and they called me like around ten to twelve or something. When I got over there, they were packing up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he said, "I'll see you in New York, man." So what happened is uh, the way I got a chance to play with him is, uh, uh, you know, Elvin Jones, uh, and we would come play at the Vanguard, the Village mm -hmm. Vanguard, and I could see on the on the schedule that McCoy would be uh, there next week. But we would always leave town. We, we were working. And so uh, Alphonse Muzan came and said, oh, man, oh, man. He said, that's the sound. I'm going to tell McCoy, that's mm. the sound we need for the group. <clears throat> he said, if you're in town, come down next week and, and, and I'll tell McCoy you can sit in. I knew we were going out of town, so. But then the gig fell through. They got canceled. Huh. So I was in town. So I went down there and, uh, you know, McCoy, uh, said, you know, and it, you know, reintroduced himself and uh, we talked and and uh, and Alphonse said, "Come on up." And and Sonny Fortune was there and I, and he, he started playing his song. And. Uh, here I am. I, I don't know what key is in. I don't know anything. So I asked Sonny, and he just said like this. So I didn't know what that meant. But, that, <laughs> but I guess that, I'm, okay. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing it's guessing C. It's C. And I didn't want to try it out to see, you know. But anyway, though, so I did my thing, and uh, I just walked off. He walked off that way and was talking to people, and I was getting ready to leave. And people were, oh, man, sound good. This and, that. and so it was interesting because as soon as Sonny walked, I noticed as soon as Sonny Fortune walked up the steps on the back, he left everybody and came over to me. And he said, hey, buddy, he said, you like playing music? I said, well, yeah, that's what I'm out here doing. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm out here for. Yeah. And he asked me a few questions like that, you know. Yeah, man, you know, I really liked it. That was nice. And so I gave him my information. The next day, I, I was staying in Arlington, Virginia with my son and his mother. Because mm -hmm. I had gone down there, mm -hmm. you know. So and they said, hey, is there a telephone call? So, so uh, I said, hello? Hey, buddy, this is McCoy. I was like, I yell. I stakes probably still can hear this yell. <laughs> <laughs> I still bouncing off the mountains. I yell so loud. <laughs> <laughs> they came running and was like, okay. They thought they had lost my mind or something. <laughs> oh yeah, he said, oh man, he said, buddy, he said, I really enjoyed it. You know, you don't want you to go to Europe with me and stuff. So uh, join the band. I'm like, oh, absolutely. Sign me up. Sign me up. Sign me up. And the next thing you know is. You're at Montreux. I don't like saying I'm at Montreux. Only, you know, the premier jazz festival potentially in the world. That's true. Who did you, I mean, in addition to the, the, the just the experience of playing, tell me about who you saw there and who you ran into oh, in the whole know. scene. You know all about that, didn't you? Uh, a little bit. Oh, man. Oh, it was you know, Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, oh, and uh, Cannonball Adderley, uh, I was standing backstage, and he came over to me in McCoy. He said, I went and saw Gato Barberi last night. He said, all the big hype and everything that they He said, but when I heard you, you were doing the stuff that I thought he should have done yeah, with all the big buildup, you know. <laughs> so here, so here, here you are. Um, I don't know how old you were, you were at this point, but you were. I just turned 21 when I got 21. with, with okay. McCoy. 
21. And you're on the stage at Montreux. Yes. Um, um, clearly understanding sort of the, the, um, the, the, the level of importance that that particular festival means in the world of jazz. Um, tell, tell me about, if you, if you recall, tell me, tell me about your thought process as you're walking on that stage. There was two steps that led up to the level of the, uh, from the dressing or that room right before the stage. And you had, as I walked, I had to pass, uh, I passed Sonny Stitt. They were standing on each side and Canterbury, they were standing on each side. I had to pass between the two of them to get on stage. And they were like, yeah, man, do it, do it, do it. And my knees started shaking, though. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, man, I was like, okay. So then I shook that off, and then I got out there, and then right in the front row was Woody Shaw and Bobby Hutchison looking like, oh, like, oh okay, it's going to be one of those things. So then uh, quickly uh, got into the, you know, into the vibe with McCoy. And, uh, oh, it was just, and uh, Junie Booth and uh, Alphonse, were wild, crazy people up on stage, and see the interesting thing about it is though that that uh, uh, the day before, at uh, about three thirty in the, in the morning, it was the land of the midnight sun mm-hmm. in the Kongsberg, Norway. Uh, McCoy had called me and uh, said, "Hey, buddy, uh, you know you awake?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, he said, "You want to play some music?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Let me come on down, and meet me down in the lobby." So they had a room with the piano, and we he and I went back, and he showed me the songs that later became the Enlightenment Suite. Wow. So there was no written music. It was... For, you know, for the Enlightenment Suite. For the Enlightenment Suite. Wow. Yeah, you know, nothing written. And uh, so the next time I saw McCoy, and then I caught up with him, it was at the soundcheck. Mm. We played a couple of the, of the songs. We didn't play all the songs. We touched on them. And then the next thing, we recorded. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, in addition to that, I mean, you were on three of... You know, arguably his his finest records. You know, Enlightenment, Sama Layuka, um, and Atlantis. Um, why do you think Why do you think that partnership, that collaboration, works so well? I think it was just made in heaven. Mm. And you know, if you believe in past life uh, reincarnation, uh, of continuation of work, mm-hmm. I think that uh, we're of a family that is of that lineage. Mm. And you know, when we've reunited to continue some yeah. work, yeah. Elvin too, mm. yeah. Uh, you know, and and I have the same question about McCoy that, that that I asked you about about Elvin. What what did he say to you about your playing? And and did he offer, you know, again, not direction, but but encouragement, um, mentorship in some way? Well, he told me the same thing, my. Uh, Manager Tracy Hanna has been telling me recently, use vibrato, it helps make the sound big. <laughs> but I asked him um, the same question. I said, how could you play with a guy like me after playing with a guy like John Coltrane? He said, I just think that uh, you feel the same way about music as John did. Hmm. That was his answer. That's... That was significant. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be validation. Yeah, uh, you know, as um, as as a musician, are there are there things, are, you know, particularly as as you were working with him, um, uh, you know, on the on on those three records, what what was most surprising to you about his playing and and his compositional 
since. Well, the only surprise that I had with Bob McCoy, since we were on in one accord without saying a mm. word, yeah, just the way he felt about it, I felt yeah. about it, and uh, was that uh, since he and I were very close, he was telling me, uh, he was like, yeah, man, he said, uh, Yamaha's going to give me a piano. I said, what about the one you have? He said, well, I don't even have a piano. Uh-huh. I was like, you don't have a piano at home? He said, well, I got that old spinner that's out of tune and everything that he brought when he first John joined the, the yeah. John Coltrane Quartet. And he said, you know, it's all out of tune. He said, I use that sometimes. I write from that. He said, the out of tuneness I use to, 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 to write. So <laughs> That is amazing. But he said, I finally said, I feel like I want to uh, work on some stuff. And that's what he meant by practice. Mm-hmm. So that means all yeah. this time he... He's not. It's coming from here. Yeah. Or here or, you know, wherever. Yeah. yeah. It's not. He wasn't there practicing. Uh, and the longest we were off would be a month hmm. at any given time. You know, we would some. I mean, that's after back to back months of playing uh, Tuesday through Sunday, traveling on Monday, doing it again. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I was like, wow. So he said, yeah, I feel like working on some stuff now. So that meant feel like practicing. Yeah. Playing with McCoy is how I got introduced to Prestige and Orrin Keep News. Mm-hmm. I was on the, uh, uh, after we did the Enlightenment uh, album, we were on the yacht cruise out there in the Alps, which, by the way, we just came back Boy, from. Boy, that's pretty good. I gotta say. <laughs> we that were, sounds great. Yeah, we were. Uh, I had called a friend of mine, uh, a lady friend of mine that I was very close with. Uh, well, actually, uh, the mother of my son. Mm. I was calling her, so I had an eight hundred dollar phone bill, <laughs> and so uh, Orange Keep News can say, "Charge hey, it to the label." Yeah, he said, oh, "He said uh, we took care of your phone bill." I was like, "Oh, that's nice." So I didn't know who they were. You know. <laughs> so, thanks very much. So uh, then he started talking. We said, yeah. "We love what you're doing, and we'd like mm-hmm. to uh, sign. Which, you know, we'd like to sign you to." You you must have been aware who Orange Keep News was. I really you was. were not. No, no, who he was, except that his relationship to McCoy. Hmm. I didn't know that he was, uh, you know. He was he was a dude. Yeah, the dude. Know, and he was a nice cat too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Orin. Yeah, I got to meet him once. Did you? Uh, yep, yep. Fantastic. Um, but that you know, again, it comes back to so many points in 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 your career. You have been working with these remarkable people in 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 jazz music who continue to kind of validate your path is is that how you took it yeah you know uh it's, it just came uh i mean in a technical standpoint and mm-hmm. in, in a real sense that is what mm-hmm. is happening and yeah and to me it was uh because of the laws of attraction mm-hmm. where it stated that each soul will during their lifetime will attract to them what they need for growth and development mm-hmm. and so it was according to that and through meditation, daily meditation, and, and you know, right, uh, trying to go right thinking, and yeah. you know, and uh, you know, living and thoughts and all, you know, that you start to emanate a, a positive vibration and attract the positive things and hmm. what you need for growth and development mm-hmm. on your path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where yeah. I was at with it. Yeah. These are all yeah. the things that are, that are yeah. coming. Well, it seemed to be working. That's uh, you know that that that's for sure. So speaking of go, going along your path, mm-hmm. um, you did have the opportunity to, to work with Miles. Yes. Um, um, and you know, without 
you know, without going too deeply, you know, into into Miles and his character. But certainly, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's well known that he was not necessarily the easiest cat to work with. Um, tell me about tell me about your experience with him. Very uh, wise. Mm-hmm. Very. How, how so? He explained the very first time we spoke on the phone. Uh, he explained a concept of atonality to me that was so heavy and so deep that for about ten years or more, every so often a part that he told me would come out. I'd be like, "Oh wow, that's what he said." Huh? Oh man, it was like. And then, as far as uh, I didn't have to ask him about the John Coltrane thing, he, I asked him, uh, should I bring? I, I, you know, I heard that you know the, the tenor players do have you restrict them. Mm-hmm. You want them to just play soprano. Mm-hmm. He said, you can bring anything you want. He said, you can bring, you can play bassoon if you want. He said, because I haven't heard tenor saxophone like this since Train. That's how he told Whoa. me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. That that's a good that 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 that's a good place, a, a, a good place to be. Okay, so very quickly, um, you had the chance to play with Jaco Pistorius, which yes. which I did not know until I found out yesterday, courtesy of someone who's sitting in the room here. Um, um, but it fascinates me because uh, he was such a commanding presence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's not unlike having played with Elvin Jones mm-hmm. in that there's so much going on rhythmically mm-hmm. that you have to find kind of your place there. Is that how you found working with him or am I completely off? Well, the, working with Jocko was just like a walk in a park. I mean... You know, after Elvin and McCoy, everybody has just been a walk in the park after that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and Jocko's a very, he was a close friend of mine. He was, uh, I met him when I was with McCoy at the Berlin Jazz Festival, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the big guy, you know, right. he became. And I befriended him, you know, we became, you know, hey, what's up? So then we were on, you know, that's how we were. Mm. And uh, it's interesting uh, because in my group, I have now the Azar Lawrence experience. Yes. We were had gone through a, a period of looking for some bass players, and uh, the the bass player that we have now uh, reminds me of the way he plays. He, hmm. he, you know, he's got a jocko kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, uh, that's one of the things I learned uh, working with Jocko. Jocko played like a horn player. He played the bass. His whole he told me he said, "Look, man, yeah. I always wanted." He studied to play. horn players. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, he listened to them. Yes. Yeah, Wayne. Uh, yeah, yes. And yeah, uh, yeah he was very uh, close to uh, the saxophone. He wanted yeah. to be a saxophone player. <laughs> I told him I'd give him some lessons, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, and uh, back to uh, or forward to what you were saying about the uh, John Coltrane being more a cerebral, mm-hmm. uh, the mental uh, factor. Yeah. Uh, uh, in terms of the way we feel the music, and I agree with that. Uh, it inspired a lot of thought. Uh, the Love Supreme, uh, in, in particular, mm-hmm. sure. you know, it, it expired a lot of thinking, and hopefully, people became better and uh, uh, for it, and, and opened up some centers mm. and 
and then cranium and you know. Yeah, and it still resonates. Still resonates that's, today. That's what that today. was. Those yes. tones were there to to do that to mm. open up certain centers and pineal gland, you know, inspire those and stimulate that. And McCoy's uh, McCoy's touch uh, is warm and brings the heart center to uh, you know. When I speaking of centers, you know, of course, you know the uh, endocrine, the uh, yeah. the centers of mm-hmm. the seven. Well, um, bec- I, one other thing I, I want to touch on. I know that there's a record mm-hmm. of unreleased material. Absolutely. That that is going to come out. Tell me, tell me, tell me about the record when it was recorded. Who was on it? Yeah, uh, the late seventies. I recorded a record, a solo album, and uh, right now it's called. Uh, 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 what is it called? Well, we haven't gotten a name for it, but there's, uh, there's, we're thinking about some names. Sure. So, Who's uh, on the album? The album is, features Elvin Jones on drums, uh, Ron Carter on bass, Roland Prince on guitar, and Albert Daly uh, on uh, piano. Mm-hmm. Albert Daly uh, told me became, we became friends. Uh, great pianist Stan Getz, uh, all those great singers, Nancy Wilson, all those, Sarah Vaughn. Um, Albert told me that he was uh, asked to join John Coltrane's quartet before McCoy. And did not want to uh, fulfill the requirement of bringing his moving his family to uh, from Baltimore to New York to be in a band. Mm. And uh, another tidbit is that uh, Benny Golson told me that uh, he and John Coltrane were at the house, and um, McCoy was driving his family up uh, the turnpike to join Benny Golson's group, and his car broke down. John Coltrane had a car, Benny did not. And so uh, Benny asked John to go down and get him. Mm-hmm. They never made it back. Mm. <laughs> the was... funny thing is, Benny told me that story. Did he say that story? He told me that story. Unbelievable. I love that. Then... Um, uh, so, so very quickly, tell me, tell me about the Azar Lawrence experience. Yeah, so the Azar Lawrence experience is uh, a group. Uh, it's seven uh, pieces, eight pieces when I use the vocalist. Mm-hmm. I'm playing uh, the, some uh, an updated version of the original music that uh, recorded and uh, written uh, during the period I was uh, recording with uh, Prestige. Prestige, yeah. And, uh, but it's, uh, I call it a treatment. I put a, you know, a time treatment on the, the time was now. Mm. So uh, it's got a 2019, 2020, 21, 25, you know. Awesome. Uh, treatment, uh, new age treatment, but the, the, the roots are uh, based upon and are the music in my Summer Solstice album, which, uh, by the way, is uh, soon to be released as well. Uh, it's going to be reissued because, mm-hmm. you know, right. although the one that we are with Elvin and Ron and Albert is unreleased. So yeah. that's. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm sure people can can keep track of you online and figure out where you're going to be and hopefully come out. The, yeah, az, uh, azarlawrence.com. Yeah. Hopefully come out and, and and see you play. Azar Lawrence, thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. For doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Prestige Records. You bet. You bet. You'll find additional episodes of the Prestige 70 podcast at craftrecordings.com forward slash prestige70 or wherever you download podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Craft Recordings, crafting the future from the past. Edited by Zach Stilwell and produced by Laura Saez. I'm Scott Goldman. Thanks for listening.